Hello, folks, and welcome to the Mini PC Show, episode 124. Our sponsor of the show is Mark Rice. So, big talk, small computers, and I got stuff to talk about. How is it going, Door the Bionic Man? Or you on me? It, it, it's going ridiculously better, I'll say. Um, I'm a little rusty, <laughs> you know, because it's a little been a while. Um, surgery was now like six weeks ago, almost six weeks ago. Moderate size incision there on the elbow, grinded some bone away. Um, but compared to how I felt, you know, seven weeks ago, a billion times better. Now it's just recovering from the surgery itself, which uh, I think I think I'm uh, most of the way there is what I'll say. Um, in the land of tech, I'll just say I've had fun uh, with the Raspberry Pi. I've had fun with the Pine Tab. I've had fun with the Pine Book Pro. Um, and I've been keeping up with all the news. And there is, I think, some sexiness on the horizon. Unfortunately, we're getting to the age of where stuff is getting expensive. What? Yeah, I agree with that. So how's everything going on your side, Brett? Um, actually going pretty good. Um, I've been basically contracted and uh, hired to do a home automation, home assistant setup for um, off-grid vehicles. So there's a company right that's a couple doors down from me that does uh, Sprinter van conversions. They just started the company, you know, so they do, uh, they take the 2500 Mercedes Sprinters, the 4x4s, and just build them out to be beautiful, you know, full, basically RVs. Um, and, you know, they come to me with all their electrical issues, troubleshooting and everything. And um, I basically talked them into allowing me to show them what I can do with something as far as like a home assistant. So uh, so I took a Pi 4, I think a 4 gig, um, and I made... So far, I've made about three or four sensors um, for different types of uh, things. One for the freshwater tank, which is a uh, a float sensor, and then black and gray water are um, probe sensors. And uh, so I've been working on all those and just having a ton of fun um, with uh, just making it so it's reliable, it's good, it works, and biggest part, Everything is local only. Absolutely no internet connection required, of course. So it's, you know, you know, because you're in an, you're in an RV, you're not always going to have, you know, internet. Yeah, well, and I'll say that uh, it's a double-edged sword. You know I mean? Be- with that, you can basically ensure a certain amount of um, uptime security as well. Um, and the fact that you're on a trusted network, so you can blanketly trust other things on the network. Um, the only downside is, is, is then it does not become available. Um, if you're miles away from it, you can't access it. That's like the only downside. Yeah, that's, that's actually one thing I, I, uh, I worked on. So, so basically what I have is I have a very small router that, um, acts as a local Wi-Fi LAN. But, um, if you send out any kind of hotspot that knows the Wi-Fi and password to, it'll automatically connect to it. And then add uh, add networking uh, add internet networking to all the devices to all the you know outputs. So so yeah. So it, that's one thing I, I wanted to kind of tackle because yeah, I if you can't access it you know when you're miles away, it, it kind of becomes a problem when they're storing it. You know, so uh, something like that. Let's do like a four G router. Yeah, and that that's actually one thing I did was. Uh, if they do a hotspot, or I can, or I built a um, onboard 4G router too. So I've been doing. There's 4G router hacks. 
Oh yeah, I uh, I did that one. I did one that uh, basically unlimited data. Yeah, unlimited data, and uh, basically everyone thinks it's a phone. Yeah, and then because you do that, then you can also give remote support, and that's another huge thing because uh, things will break sooner or later, and they're not going to know what to do. Yeah, definitely, definitely, they're gonna, you know, and that's why I'm trying to make everything as modular as I can, plug and play, just un, you know, like on the sensors I have. Uh, actually, I'll uh, show you what I've been working on. Um, on the sensors, I want to see the black water sensor. No, 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 you won't see that one. Actually, yeah, you will kind of part of it, but you know, not the part that goes inside. Well, and I like two ideas like came to my head. One, you can get email addresses from everyone every month. Send them. Did you know your home automation thing can do this? Did you know your home automation can do, thing can do that? And like roll into the price like one year or two years of support. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so this is you know just what I started on with the gray water tank, and it's just uh, on a prep board. But the sensor, the probes are just going to be able to plug in, and then the uh, the ESP32 actually is removable. So if for some reason the ESP fries. Um, I can replace the, the whole ESP32 without, uh, you know, redoing the entire board. But eventually I'll be doing uh, custom sensors. Very cool, very cool. So is there anything yeah, uh, new um, in the in the mini PC world that got you guys excited? You know me, um, I'm always hacking away at something. So, uh, you know, what I said was last year I bought stuff. I don't even know when I bought the Google Coral. Um uh, my father-in-law does know it's podcast night. He keeps calling me. Um, but I bought the Google Coral, and I bought one of these. This is actually the second one I bought because I thought I was going to make use of it. So I I have an nine-camera, eight-camera, eight-camera, sorry, eight-camera. But I'm looking at it right now on a three-by-three three screen, so there's one blank. And my father-in-law doesn't get the message. So... What I was hoping to do was take the HDMI output out of my security camera setup because it doesn't do RTSP, pipe it into this, and then use something like motion to send it out RTSP to Home Assistant running Frigate NVR with the Google Coral that I bought out of last year, year before, whatever. And but this, like, whatever the software was or this device, it kept giving bad frames and the Google Coral device wouldn't work right. So instead, I got a new NVR that has eight analog inputs, because I'm hardwired, you know, BNC inputs, and it does eight RTSP outputs. I haven't, un I haven't fired it up yet. I'm dying to smoke test it. But the cool thing is, with Home Assistant, Frigate is a plug-in, and it uses the Google Coral, and you can do on-network, you know, not all on-prem, AI detection of people, vehicles, etc., and it'll send an MQTT notification. So I'm pretty excited about that, and, and I'll, I'll talk about a little bit of the elephant in the room. So I think I wanted Coral for a long time, and I think the Coral dropped to $40. This is the, US, the USB dongle. Well, I see the Coral USB dongle for like 150 bucks on Amazon right now. And I think the cheapest one out there still is like 40 or 50 bucks, and it's an M2 device. So if you have a spare M2 slot, you could drop one in. 
and uh, get a cheap deal. But yeah, the USB, anything that you'd actually easily use is crazy expensive. And yeah. I, I was thinking about getting another Coral device because you can use it for voice processing. So if you want to do, instead of having, you know, Amazon Alexa or, you know, Google Home, those kinds of things running, you could do it all on-prem again with the little Google Coral AI. That's good to know. Um, that's because, because of you, thanks, actually genuine thanks, um, I was able to tell this company that, hey, I can do local security cameras on the bands. Um, they, they went crazy for that. Um, and so I ordered a Coral. Um, we were talking about the M.2, or you were talking about the M.2 one. I was thinking about, you know, possibly a Rock Pi 4 with an M.2. Uh -huh. And, uh -huh. but I don't know if there's a home assistant that works well, uh, you know, with sorry. it. Like, so now you need the home assistant. So what the frigate plugin runs on the home assistant with the supervisor and the supervisor is the one that um Allows is, for hacks, the, right? is the container is the one that runs in a container really okay because i have frigate on the one i'm using currently in the raspberry pi and because i have the akcs um uh, that allowed me to put that on oh, okay i'm not familiar with that yeah so um hacs is if you have the supervisor version you can add the um hacks which they call it oh, okay you know and uh it's the home assistant community store so that's um ah. that gives yeah that if you haven't heard of that um sorry about your next couple of days um because there is a lot of stuff with the community one um of course a lot of them aren't production level but like the first one is um and yeah, just from when you mentioned that, just looking into it, it was absolutely crazy. I didn't know you could do voice, which would be kind of interesting to be able to do voice mm -hmm. automa voice automation with local access. Because I, you know, I'm always the lazy one that. Uh, well, apparently I'm not as lazy as I thought. Um, I uh, I always like to be able to turn things on and off after I lay down if I forget. Yeah, I got. Uh, well, personal side, I got uh, diagnosed with something called hypersomnia. So basically, no matter how much I sleep, and I get sleep attacks, um, where I have to, you know, take a nap within like ten minutes, or I fall asleep. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, no matter how much I sleep, I never feel rested. So it's uh, been the last few months. Well, I mean, I'm glad they oh. know finally. Uh, it doesn't help it any, but it yeah, really no, it, it it does help because it it has a name. Right. Yeah, it, and it helps me mentally because. It made me realize, oh, it wasn't because I'm just lazy. It's, you know, because I actually had no energy to do something. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Rich, if you want a minute to two minutes kind of thing where you don't have to listen to us and you want to try calling him back just in case it's an emergency, there's something we can talk about that I know you don't care about. <laughs> and that yeah. is the uh, Valve Steam Deck. All right. Yeah. So let, let me drop off for a minute here. Okay. Go for okay. it. Man, this... In some ways, in some fashions, in some respect, this really is like the device of my dreams. Um, I love the idea of being able to fit a computer in your pocket. Not necessarily. Well, yeah, not necessarily. I'm gonna have, to have really yeah, big pockets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, but it's is a top shelf quality handheld gaming console 
with incredible amounts of I.O. Uh, they did it right because the three versions of it all has the same processor, same RAM, same stuff like that. Uh, the RAM it's using is using DDR5. Ooh, I didn't nothing, know that. That's awesome. Nothing, yeah, nothing in the world is using DDR5 yeah. except for this thing. The low end is just over 300, I want to say. High end is about six and change. Um, the only difference is the storage media goes from EMMC to NBME. And then on the very top end version, you get some, like, uh, I think it's scratch-resistant matte glass kind of thing. Um, See, I have, a, I have a thing against matte glass. Me too. Okay, I'm um, going to run along. Uh, it literally, to me, dulls the screen. Yes, it's not. It takes it's away not, the brightness. Yeah, it takes away the quality of the screen. I mean, not, like, realistically, but, yeah, to me it does, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, 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 the, but the kicker is, uh, A, it's using everything it learned from the incredible failure called Steam Boxes. Yeah. Uh, it's also using a lot that they learned from the Steam controller, which I still believe is amongst the best controllers I've ever used. I love that controller. I tried for a long time to use it on one of the only games that I play, uh, which is, uh, well, I don't even play it often anymore, is uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, And you kind of could. It's got controller support, but it's just not working very well. Um, but yeah, I love that. I love that controller in any situation I can. Yeah. and um. And the, the, to me, the real gimmick is it's running true full Linux. It's running yes. Arch. Yeah. Um, now, the double-edged sword is one experienced Valve people will say, well, then I it's not going to be able to run all my games. Uh, well, Gabe said, like, two days after it was announced that at launch this December, their goal is to have 100% compat- compatibility with every single game on Steam. He didn't say they were going to run great. But at least they would run, and but then they from run, there they yeah. Can, yeah. And because they because they're intimate with the hardware, they, there's no reason why they can't optimize settings to get the best possible gaming you can get, as long as they have enough people to work on it. Yeah. Um. But the gimmick I love is you can take your generic USB C hub, plug it into yes, this thing. I love that. Plug it up to a big screen monitor, and voila, you have a Linux desktop. It doesn't have to be some sort of uh, Amazon works with Switch type thing. Yeah. And uh, which actually expands it a little more from what I have, and I know we've talked about this before, which is the uh, Nextdoc, the Touch. Now, the Nextdoc Touch is still probably my second most used computer. Um, I recently got a ASUS ROG, um, pretty much their top-of-the-line Ryzen one. It's a Ryzen 9 5600HS or 5800HS, and I was blown away at the initial um, speed and everything, which made me sad because, you know, AMD. But, uh, and I found a, which I will uh, add a link to, is, is the, the APU uh, tuner. It's, a, it's an open source, it's a, uh, like, GitHub thing. But apparently every Ryzen uh, desktop is always going to be unlocked, no matter what. You don't have to pay extra for a K model. Uh, with the uh, laptops, it's not quite the same because the uh, the manufacturer is locking down a little bit. But with this tuner, you can literally. I did a uh, bench uh, a bench score, and uh, I literally doubled the performance with just the um, just the pre uh, set that it had built in for, the, for my uh, model for my uh, model of uh, Ryzen. Um, it's Utterly ridiculous, you know. And the screen is a uh, quad HP 
144 hertz screen, so that helps too. So when you say quad HD, does that mean you have to have four HDMI plugs going into it? No, no, it's uh, it's just okay. the resolution. It's uh, 4K. Actually, let's see, quad HD is 4K. Quad HD is a resolution. Yeah, well, then it's re resolution plus frame rate. It's like a qualifier kind of thing. Yeah, so so Quad HD ends up in 2K, which I thought Quad HD and 4K were the same, but uh, no, they're not apparently. But uh, but yeah, so I mean, the weird thing about having a high resolution screen or high frame rate screen is moving a mouse across it. Right. It's just like you don't realize what frame rate it is until you just move move the mouse. Right, and um, Ryzen. AMD Ryzen's in the last, like, year, they have really, I think, impressed me on a lot of fronts. Um, not only their ability to work on all platforms, basically, but the fact that they're not gobbling up your battery on mobile devices and they're not killing you with heat kind of thing. They're really being really, really competitive. Yeah. Um, the competition between them, NVIDIA, and Intel is still, I think, driving all of us to have better stuff i agree the downside is some of these ryzen's ain't cheap um yeah like when you go yeah go ahead yeah they're yeah like if you watch eta prime youtube channel where if you don't i understand because a lot of it's gaming related but he is a mini pc fanatic and in the last month he's gotten two or three um like plus six hundred dollar eight hundred dollar mini pcs that are literally super tiny but yet they have ryzen's in them and they have no graphics card they're apu only yeah yeah yeah. and one was uh fanless i believe too um to where the performance he's getting out of these things is literally insane this is like the performance he's getting out of them even a year and a half ago would have been a two thousand dollar plus desktop yeah no yeah it's yeah so i, I gotta catch up on my eta prime watching yeah i think I, I think the algorithm knows I watch mini PC stuff, you know, like more sing, more Raspberry Pi stuff from him, and I, I don't see the other stuff. Yeah, the algorithm yeah. Would, know, would know if you, you know, took a shower last night. Yes, exactly. Um, well, I'll say, and we did get an email. I don't know if you guys saw it. And I'm sorry if I didn't forward it to you. From a guy I work with, um, Tim, sent me an email, and I forgot to reply to him. It basically was uh, a British guy who, given the chance, I think I would like to, like, um, chop him in his neck he just he's more annoying than explaining computers no way. Wait, wait, wait no there's somebody more no no uh, just to me i'm calling i'll send you the, the link but the thing is most of what he says is exactly spot on because he's talking about risk uh v um risk five processors versus arm and while what he's saying is truthful statements he is missing a billion times about the actual story um because we have intel uh, leasing out some of their stuff to ARM production. You have Intel teasing that they're going to start doing RISC-V processors. You have NVIDIA trying to buy the ARM company. I and thought they have, did. Well, they, it, it isn't finalized yet. Some people are still complaining, but they're trying to. And it looks like they will buy them. And I don't think it's a bad thing if they buy them. I'll just say that out loud. Um, but then you have RISC-V. And for instance, who can you trust? When it comes to computers, the answer is nobody. You can't trust Microsoft. You can't trust Apple. You can't trust Dell. If you are a nation state, I'll say, you can't trust anybody unless you press the chip yourself. Welcome to Risk Five. Okay. Russia announced um, by the middle of next year, they're going to have their own Risk Five 2.8 gigahertz powered laptops all throughout their government. 
which I'm wow. sure I'm sure they're going to have their own back doors in because they can. They're Russia. Um, but that to me is one of the biggest um news type pathways for risk processors is just the fact that in the future, you know, um, when you say see somebody working at like NSA or if you know somebody who's working for like um you know um Japanese Secret Service or something, they're going to be running their stuff on Risk Five processors, not Intel, not AMD, not ARM, not even ARM, but they're going to be running them on Risk Five. It's only a matter of time, is what I'm going to say. Um, I don't know when we normal folks will see benefits to Risk Five, but as it currently stands, um, I believe Risk Five is four to five years behind ARM in speed and performance Ouch. and everything else. Ouch. And you, yeah, because you remember how it was four or five years ago, Rich. Some stuff was uh-huh. pretty dang pain, 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 painful to do. The question is, can they keep um, leapfrogging ARM's progress and speed? We don't know. Now, my question is, with so ARM four or five years ago wasn't really known. If you, I mean, it was kind of known, but it was it wasn't as it didn't have the the uh, the backing that risk that risk pipes already get it. Yeah, so yeah. I'm wondering how much faster it will develop with the with everyone that's going for it. Yeah, I mean, um, the one here here's the thing, man. This and this is where it almost gets political. I hate saying it like this, but is it better to have a structure with presidents and chairmen and companies behind it telling you what the path is going to be moving forward for the chip like ARM, or is it better for Risk Five where anybody? can just willy-nilly pick up the specs, create their own modules on top of the chip and enhancements and make it, in air quotes, better, and then keep it for themselves. Um, I that, that's kind of like the in Apple's way of doing things versus everybody else's. You know, there is an Apple iPhone, period. There is an Apple laptop, a tablet. Period. Whereas in the Android community or the Windows, the Intel Windows community, there's thousands of permutations on top of each one of those. So Apple only has to be good with one set of hardware, one phone hardware, one tablet hardware, one you know laptop hardware, period. And I, I don't mean to... I, and look, I, I'm by far not an Apple fanboy. I, I have Android everything other than, and I'm on a Chromebook right now, but my desktop, quote-unquote, is my MacBook Pro, uh, my 2012 MacBook Pro. But the, the best thing, probably in 14 years, I have not gotten a call from my father-in-law saying I've got the blue screen of death because I got him an iMac. I didn't get him... I'm like, would you consider buying a Mac? And I got him to buy one. Maybe that's the proper way to say it. So it's easy to be good if there's a known architecture and you have a known operating system on it. But what you're saying is, hey, there's you know n flavors of risky, and and if we all go that way, your crap might not work on the 2011 May one or, or 2021 May chip. It might work on the November 2021 chip, but not from that manufacturer. So that so that that kind of reminds me of Ford in the 70s. Okay, you got me listening. Okay, so back in the 70s, Ford had multiple iterations to the same year model. Um, 
Ooh. A certain yeah, some companies do that. Yeah, there was a there was like the Mustangs, if I remember right. You had to like for even things like fenders, um, for engine parts, especially engine parts. Certain um, parts you had to know the month that your car was produced. So that's kind of what it made me feel like is is a very non modular approach to it, which you know in some cases. That non-modular approach makes things better faster, but at the same time, you know, it's it's also a it's a double-edged sword because you're required to be on the newest hardware all the time, which is bad for consumers but good for the companies. Uh, yeah, I I definitely agree with you. And the gimmick is, and while I'll send you guys the link to the British guy, um, he was vehement how Risk Five is not open source. It's not open source. It's not open source. It doesn't have to be open source in order to gain from open ideals is the way I'll put it. Okay. Um, the con with open systems like Linux is you're going to have 80 plus percent of the people who put work into it, have their stuff thrown away before it ever hits production or gets popularity or anything because it isn't popular enough in open realms. The cream rises to the top. The crap sinks like a rock. Okay. So to me, with Risk Five, the example is Sci Five. Sci Five is a company that is taking Risk Five processors, adding their own sauce to it, swearing they're getting you know two to three times the performance of other people's Risk Five processors, but you're buying from them. Okay, well, it, it, it's going to be almost like Android versus Apple. Where right now, if you want Android, you cannot just blindly say "eeny meeny miny" and pick one because some of the stuff out there is pure crap. Just because it makes it to the store shelf doesn't mean it's good. With Apple, it doesn't matter what you pick because it's all running the same stack on known hardware. With Risk Five, I think there's going to be a time where we're going to have to be highly educated when we pick stuff or else we're going to be really bummed, you know, one month, two months after we buy it. But I do perceive there being a time where Risk Five could become, I don't want to say the standard, because you're never going to get rid of Intel. You're never going to get rid of x86. You're never going to get rid of AMD. You're never going to get rid of ARM. But I can definitely see it being a competitor. quite popular. Yeah, yeah. No, no cell processors? Um, cells processors are still good for stuff. Uh, the, the, they're still hot. They get really friggin' hot. And I was watching something the other day where they were talking about they had to use cell processors for what they were doing. I can't remember what it was now. But Russia is at least telling the world we're going to do this high performance 64 bit risk five processor um look out so you know if they can do it i am sure the united states can do it i am sure germany can do it france can do it china can do it south korea can do it they could all do it if russia can yeah i was uh you know i'm looking at looking at my uh, desk right now and i'm just thinking you know just if if it wasn't for open source or, you know, anything that you could do something on your own, a lot of the stuff that I have wouldn't be possible. A lot of the stuff that I, you know, have, you know, I mean, for example, not so much open source, but I, well, actually, yeah, it is open source. I have a soldering iron that I just got, and it is called the TSHP, and it is a very expensive soldering iron. For what it looks like, but I think it was yeah, it was about a hundred dollars for just this. No power, no nothing. Um, runs on USB C, runs twelve volt USB C, so power delivery. But it was a great soldering iron. 
I had a few gripes about it, you know, and I looked up a couple things. There's an open source firmware out there for it for my soldering app. Oh, cool. And so once I put that on, I was able to change so much about it. Um, I think it goes 450C, and it gets to that temperature in less than 10 seconds. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, it is absolutely perfect. And the way I have it set up is, you know, while I'm soldering, you know, it, it solders. But uh, when I put it away, if I don't touch it for 20 seconds, it goes into a sleep mode that goes down to 150C. And if I don't touch mm-hmm. it for five minutes, it just turns itself off. But as soon as oh I... Oh, my as, God. That's crazy. Yeah. Dude, as soon as send I, me the link. Yeah, I definitely will. Because that's my that's been my problem with my Hako. Because I, I have a Hako soldering station. I love it. I leave it on nine times out of ten. So I had to make a a, uh, a dial. I used a, an extension cord and a uh, spa timer, you know, that they use at the hotels where uh, it, it only stays on 15 minutes. Um, gotcha. Yeah, this one is just so, I mean, just easy to, you know, and there's uh, there's a few 3D printable um, uh Pieces that I'm gonna actually, I just ordered a couple things for it with uh, that lets me 3D print a um, a stand for it that then hooks into a like a Milwaukee or a Makita 18 volt battery. Okay. Ah, What's cool. the name of this soldering iron? We got to make sure this is the. Oh notes. yeah, definitely. It's a TS80P. Uh, that's the fresh 80. Yeah. Smart soldering. Yeah, it's a smart solder. It's got an OLED display. I mean, it's it's. Really? Like I said, it's expensive. Hundred nine, hundred nine bucks. But that I think that one comes with the uh, charger. Yeah. So that's cool. You know, it's just I am I'm a I'm very big on soldering. I've used my Hako for five years straight, but it's a great soldering iron for at the desk. Hey, I got to tell you a soldering iron joke. Oh boy. So I was traveling. I was going to be on the road, but I had to make wires like while in the car i had to solder stuff in the car so i had enough you know xlr cables for a video job i was going to do so we're going from like new york to virginia something like that and i know radio shack has a 12 volt soldering iron so i was like building cases for my camera gear in the meantime and i sent my dad to radio shack for me like hey get me a 12 volt soldering iron it plugs in the cigarette lighter and the guy at Radio Shack swore up and down, there's no such thing, it doesn't exist, blah, blah, blah. He was standing right in front of it. You know, my dad's like, no, it's, you know, my dad's arguing with the guy. Having, you know, a big, and my dad argues. He is, like, New York argument. So the guy, like, sheepishly, oh my gosh, here it is, you know, 12-volt soldering iron. My dad looks at him and says, now I need 12-volt solder. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Nice. <laughs> That's a good one. I had for a while. I was using uh, very inexpensive soldering iron, but they were just basically throwaways. They were eight dollars at the wholesale place that I go to, and they were five volt USB soldering irons, and they were eight watts, and they sucked, but they were good for my lights because um, I would just solder, you know, the LEDs on the onto the onto the LED pads, and it worked kind of. Um, it would turn off randomly, it would do this, it would do that. So I was very um, hesitant about getting another USB soldering iron. But I looked up the reviews on this thing and, you know, I mean, in all honesty, I haven't turned on my Hako since I got this. I haven't even turned it on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a true sign. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, it's, and uh, I also did, see if I can find it, I set up a, uh, 
a USB-C, like a MagSafe adapter. Um, so they have USB-C, uh-huh. you know, the, the, the little USB-C uh, magnet plugs? Well, uh-huh. this one... Yeah, I, can, I know what you're yeah. talking about. So, like, on the Mac. Yeah, exactly, about? yeah. So, so exactly what Door has. And so, but I tried that, but it didn't allow, it, it didn't allow enough. Yeah, that one doesn't allow enough uh, wattage through the actual pins. So I got one that I have set up that allows uh, up to 100 watts through. And this thing's a 34-watt, 12-volt solder now. So, yeah, so I've been using it that way, and it's just, it's ridiculous. Only problem I'm having right now is that the the movement sensitivity I need to change because it'll think I'm leaving it, like I leave it in the, it, it'll think I'm stopped soldering when I just, when I solder slowly. Like when I just moved a pin to pin, like doing a pin like that. Oh, that's funny. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. things, it's great, especially with the uh, upgraded firmware. Cool. Oh, I'm excited. When I when I actually sell my house in New York and have money, I'll buy one. Yeah, they're, uh, I actually have another interesting interesting thing, I guess you'd say. Um, the uh, automation setup, the, the company has these rocker switches that are known in the off-road world as just the standard rocker switches, on-off, and uh, they don't really do anything. You know, they have LEDs in them that when you turn the, when you hit, when it's in the on position, it will have the LED on, and it's in the off position, it'll have nothing on, of course. So they're just dumb They're stupid switches. So they have a show on the 17th that I'm trying to make everything work, you know, by then. Um, so what I did was I actually took them apart. Um, so I took apart the switch and I found a way to not only make them into momentary switches, but make the LED on the inside independent from the power out. So, okay. yeah, so instead of having... So you can do illumination? Yeah, right? so instead of having on-off, I have, you know, uh, like a momentary on you know, just a, just a, it's a uh, button press. So what I do is I send mm-hmm. that to an ESP32, which then turns on the relay for whatever it's controlling, and then independently turns on the light for the actual button. So that being said, when, let's say, uh, let's say you hit the uh, toggle switch, and you click it, turns on, turns on the light, that's it. Um, you can then go into Home Assistant, where all the switches are, or where all the buttons are, and the and stuff, and you hit the and that button is lit up because it knows it's on. You hit that button, mm-hmm. you hit it to turn it off. Not only does the light turn off that you turned on, but the light on the switch turns off too. So basically, Very it cool. turned that really dumb on on off switch into a smart-ish momentary switch. Smarter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it turned out really good. You know, um, I was able to, you know have fun with it and just figure it out. But, uh, yeah, not, not many people will take the time to take part of Switch that I know. Well, I, I used to love all those Bosch relays because you could take them apart. Like when the Bosch relay stopped working, but if it was still clicking, it was the points were burned yeah. out and you could take a point file and clean them up. Yeah, and then and and then our, and then they just got really cheap. You know, those Bosch relays now are... Are you talking about the 49 Pro Volts? Oh, just stuff you'd find in a Porsche. Oh, yeah. Know, like yeah. an 80s okay, Porsche. Yeah. I was going to say the... The uh, regular 40 amp relays can be, uh, they're fun to take part, don't get me wrong, but uh, 
I think I, yeah, now you can get them for so cheap. It's just like, I tried to tell my dad one time, well, let's fix the relay. And he said, no, let's just spend the extra $2 and get a new one. <laughs> but I still took apart, you know, who can throw it away anyway. <laughs> right. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, another piece of hardware I just wanted to highlight, just to make sure it's higher up in the notes is the way I put it. Because if you guys didn't realize by now, half the stuff I bring up, I bring up so there's documented in my show notes, so then I can go back and find them later, like when Rich says, when I have some money. Um, mm-hmm. This is the little device that I have been dreaming about off and on for a decade plus. Uh, me and Tracy Holtz, when, back when Tracy Holtz lived in a different state halfway across the United States, and he was a tech, he said, why can't I find like a $50 small form factor dual gigabit ethernet board that I can use as a gateway or monitor or whatever. And we've been finding them here recently, but they're still like, some of them are still 80 to 120 bucks. Uh, NanoPi RC2. NanoPi is better than Orange Pi. I'll say that in terms of heat. Okay. I don't know about stability, but in, I've had pretty good luck with my NanoPi stuff. And this is the RC2 with a true dual gigabit ethernet uh, plugs. Uh, USB-C port as well. Uh, I believe that's for power. And it does have a micro SD slot with a SPI flash footprint, it says. Uh, And it's a Rock 3328 quad-core processor. It's more muscle than any gateway needs. Yeah. So So which one is that there, Rich? Is that the previous version one? I don't hear you. Yeah, it's the prior version. Sorry. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, and on that one, one of the ports was true gigabit. The other one was maybe 10100? Well, I thought it was dual gig, but uh, actually, this is an R2S. Yeah, the newest one, the newest one says it's an R2C. Um, either way, I'll say it like this. 99% of the people, if they use it as a gateway, it will meet, meet their needs. Only if you're like, um, you know, Brett using 80 gigs a month, excuse me, in like three yeah, weeks. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah. or <laughs> yeah, or with me, I got now true gigabit Ethernet from Verizon, where I'm nice. getting uh, on great days. I'm getting like six down, six hundred down, and six hundred up. Um, sometimes it's as low as three something, but whatever, it's fast. I can't wait for Starlink. Um, yeah, yeah, well, they're Moving they're getting it. better. They're getting better results. They're getting better results too. I'm talking yeah, about. Um, but you can't move it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yet. Yet. Um, this little board, I can see because like one of the things Tracy said was, "What if?" I want to quit doing my current career and go back into computing. What should I do? What can I do? Well, you can point and tell people to do stuff, be a consultant, you know, or you could be in a like entrepreneur and do um, Soho uh, small commercial enterprise support kind of thing. And this is the kind of device where you could easily buy one, put it in their network. So you can lock that thing down like tight. Um, since the power is USB-C, you can literally get a like RAV power, battery unit which will give it literally like 10 plus hours probably a battery life um and then just have it sit there and then when the customer needs you to do something that can be your gateway into the network to do all that you need to do um and it can be more secure than anything they have on their network without a lot of work is the way i'll put it that's really nice i like that is there a price on that one uh the price i want to say starts out at only 45 dollars 45 or 49 dollars which is great and on, on this page it does have um a comparison with the R2S and the R2C models. Um, I'll tell you right now, they look virtually identical is what I'm going to say. Um, I think really all they did was they were able to bring the price down and maybe bring the temperature down a touch. 
Yeah. Is that why the enclosure is that big honking aluminum thing? Well, you know, you can't be too safe. Uh, a. B. I do believe these are the kinds of devices that are intended to be a little bit more um, 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 weatherable to be able to withstand uh-huh. more than just a cold server closet kind of uh, atmosphere. You mean server closets are supposed to be cold? <laughs> I, when I went in the one at work, I swear I was going to get sick. Or oh, are you kidding? We we monitor inlet and outlet temperatures on servers. We we know exactly all that stuff. Forget about the rack inlet and outlet temperatures. Yeah, I have uh, on the on the server in my motorhome. I have it set up to where it will, if it's colder on the inside of the RV, it will pull air from the RV's inside through the cabinet out the. Um, and then if it's colder on the outside, it'll pull air from the outside and blow it actually into the RV, oh, cool. kind of making uh, making it colder anyway. Oh. All that. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry. Um, the two things I was going to mention super quick, this is going to be in the notes if you want to look at it. Uh, Raspbi Config. Um, for those who don't know, Raspbi Config is basically the main way uh, any ARM-based board can sometimes be configured, manipulated, updated kind of thing. Um, in your typical Armbian, Raspbian, even Diet Pie kind of thing, it is the tool that you can use to change things like host name, uh, uh, wireless SSID defaults, parameters, uh, how much memory to give to the uh, graphic environment. What there's little knowledge that people didn't know even existed, there's an undocumented, non-interactive uh, mode, which just saying that excuse me what it's a mode where you can literally send the command raspbi config space and words after it and it will do what you want to do it will set up how you want it to set up aka i like that if you know these commands you can literally create your own first boot scripts to where you can have everything set up without oh, thinking about it. that's like for your home yeah, yeah so, when you're doing a headless install, like it, it, most of my Linux is headless. Actually, that reminds me, before I forget, uh, anyone that uses the Raspberry Pi imager from the Raspberry Pi Foundation. So there is a key combination that when you have everything ready to start, I think it's like Control-S or Control-something, you click that, and it'll let you configure your Raspberry uh, You'll It'll let you configure... Uh, Raspberry config on the installation. Actually, like oh, set cool. up a Wi-Fi and uh, the Wi-Fi password. You know, set turn on SSH all that before you even flash it, and it'll flash that into the uh, um, into the SD card. So the first boot is you know it automatically connects to Wi-Fi. I didn't know about it. It looks like it is possibly Control Shift. That's it. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, it's a very I, I didn't know about it. I found out about it from DIY perps, I think. Um, and it just, it really threw me off because it is not told anywhere that you can do that. Yeah, I'm going to say I never heard of it. Now it gives me a reason to use that imager again and not use um, Etcher, which I've been using Etcher, forever. Belena Etcher, Etcher. Etcher's yeah. good, but Etcher's really good. But yeah, with this little ad, with this little thing, it makes it better. Uh, that is cool. That is a big benefit. Door watching a ping pong game? No, sorry. I just wanted to make sure the people um, who are watching the stream, I wanted to show them at least the screen, Control Shift X, where and it will let you select for this session only or yeah. different 
disable overscan, set host name, enable SSH, set the parameters up for that, configure Wi-Fi. This is what I needed before because what I oh, yeah, always had yeah. to do was All that. Uh, install the card, then go into the boot folder and go into uh-huh. two different files yep. and uh-huh. make sure I copied and pasted correctly. And it was it literally yeah. was a pain in the butt. This is not a pain in the yeah, butt. Yeah, it, 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 and they, they really need to advertise it more because it is very useful. Especially just enabling SSH at boot. That's yes, that's yeah, that that's could be the biggest thing. But I I'm I'm really 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 just pissed off at all the safety sallies. I want SSH. Yeah. Just give it to me. Why make it so hard? Yeah, I want to say there was one of them back in the day. I don't I don't know if it exists anymore. Where if you would boot it up, not log in in a minute, it would automatically enable SSH. Uh, and then you could log in remotely. You just had to wait a, a um, minute for it to be enabled. What I like about my uh, WLED uh, LED controllers that I, for my ESP32s, uh, basically it's an open source uh, LED controller for the ESP32, is when you uh, load it up, you it, it sends out its own Wi-Fi so you can configure it. Um, so you just log in, it, it takes you to the login screen, asks you what, you know, what, Wi-Fi and everything. You could set that up prior. But what the cool thing is, is if it can't connect to any Wi-Fi within 30 seconds of it turning on, it falls back to a uh, a Wi-Fi hotspot, and that, so you can reconfigure it again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a, a lot of the Tasmodo type things. Do yeah, that. yeah, and uh, I like the Tasmodo stuff, but I don't like having to reflash all my hardware. Tasmodo is really hard to reflash onto like any of the. Uh, well, at least it's been for me lately on any of the... It depends on the yeah, device. Yeah, so I, I don't have, you know, the, the specific devices that are working great. Although, have you guys heard about Tuya? Yes. What's Tuya? Tuya is a basically a company that makes all of the white-label smart devices, like any of the smart switches that you get on Amazon, on, um, like, any of the... Uh, uh, yeah, like... That's a two. Any of the generic, like smart devices, will usually use a software called Smart Home or Smart Life, and that Smart Life is uh-huh. from from a company called Tuya. Well, recently they came out with a full integration from them into Home Assistant, which is great. Which is really awesome. that's because they still want your data. That's why. There's a little caveat to that. There is an option to do local only. Okay. Yeah. So they announced here's the integration and we're prom- So I don't have to cut this open. You don't have to. Yeah. So they announced uh, a couple months ago that they're doing an integration and the integration is actually really nice. But they said we promise in the next few releases we're going to make it so you can you have the option to do local only. You know, it's not going to. That's crazy. Yeah, that that really was a big thing for me because that's unheard of in the smart. You know, smart homes. Yeah. The logic, what what everybody was saying about these devices is the reason they were cheap is because they were pulling data and phoning exactly, home yeah. with it, and they didn't want you to flash the Tasmoda data on or Tasmoda firm, firmware on. Yeah, it. and this this that's what's really cool is the company themselves came out with the integration and said, hey, if you want, you can do it local only. It's your device, which I haven't even heard. From Google. <laughs> Never even heard. You know. I've never heard any company that is willingly says it's your device. That's fantastic. I'm impressed. Yeah, I mean, because look at uh, 
it was built here, the first generation of them, yeah. just completely, they killed it. Um, what is it, Wink from GE's? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's so many devices, you know, smart devices that have come and gone, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this makes it so you will be able to use this one device, theoretically, until, you know, Wi-Fi 2G is not a thing. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Um, the next thing I just wanted to bring up, and it's only because this is the kind of good news that I don't think is getting enough press. Um, for those that don't know, NextCloud is a thing that I'm infatuated with. It's open, it works, it works great, it's extensible, it's a trusted medium. Um, I have it running right now on my Rock um, 64, hosting an instance of NextCloud to where I can share files out to anybody. It's accessible anywhere in the world, really secure, easy to update, and it just works. Uh, The EU just announced um, for their Hyperscalers collaboration platform, um, Microsoft offered them 365 with an extreme discounted rate. Uh, Google offered them workspace at, again, with an extreme discounted rate. Um, uh, A couple of the other platforms I can't think of right now also offered them extremely discounted rates, which, of course, all of them would jack up after a year or two of use because that's what they do. Uh, uh, Yeah, tangent. Microsoft just announced, I want to say it was like a 30% up in their 365 prices starting in January, I think it was. Um, so this project in the EU, multiple countries doing a doing a platform of collaboration that they said we're going to use NextCloud. Um, wow. This is the kind of visibility that this project yeah. needs because non-techs are going to be able to see the logos, hopefully still saying NextCloud in them, and then go out in the real world and say, hey, I know that. That's what we use at work, or that's what we use there kind of thing. Um, so I'm really happy for them. In fact, that's crazy. Uh, every year, I give some amount of money to uh, Wikipedia, Archive.org, Mozilla, companies like that. Uh, this year, I'm making sure NextCloud is in that loop. Um, my goal is to give each of them at least $100. Uh, by the end of the year, I'm already like halfway done that. But NextCloud, they've been supporting me, in air quotes, for years. It's about time I uh-huh. support them uh-huh. back. Well, I'll tell you what I'm surprised at is the EU's going for this after, um, was it West Germany or whatever, Germany went all open source and that, that went over like a Led Zeppelin? Yeah, it, it kind of went back and forth. Uh, the news sensationalized both ways it happened. Um, part of the government re- stayed using all open technologies and open document templates and using um non-Microsoft Office-based tools, and only like two branches of the government went back to using Microsoft tools. Um, oh. It was one of those things, if you don't properly educate your users going into it, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what mm-hmm. the tool is. It's right. going to fail right. miserably. Oh, absolutely. And and that's what it looked like they did. They, they didn't, in their quotes, properly get everyone uh, trained and up to speed on it. Um, I'm trying to remember now. Um, I did have uh, like one twister OS uh, update again happened, and it, this time it went through clean and it went good. So it's again working fine. Um, I will say I'm still a big fan of that Raspberry Pi desktop. So I'm looking at uh, actually very bottom of the links, um, 535, and I'm just looking at it real quick, and it's uh, Google Chrome Cursive. Yeah, this is one of their new apps. How uh, you have Google Keep. You know, Gmail, Google Calendar. It's cursive.chrome.app. I'm sorry, cursive.apps.chrome. This is supposed to be 
a um, Chrome OS kind of thing. So if you try to run it in uh, Firefox, it really doesn't like it. Yeah, it doesn't even like it. It doesn't say. like it on a desktop. Yeah. Oh, it only works on desktop right now, and it only works on Chrome. That's what I mean. Based yeah. browser. Well, I'm on uh, Edge, the um, Chromium Edge, but uh, it won't let me make a note. Yeah. Yeah, I get the pop-up in my Chrome browser. Cursive is designed for Chromebooks. Open Cursive on a Chromebook for best experience. And when I'm in Chrome, I hit... Or no damn experience in your case. Yeah. Um, in every other browser, it just says something went wrong and doesn't work. Yeah, that's what it says on mine, but it won't let me uh, make it a note. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with Google Keep, but apparently they feel like they need another tool again. Um, like, 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 for some reason, they're killing Hangouts, and uh-huh. half of my conversations went over to Google Voice, and the other half of my oh. conversations went over to chat.google.com. Oh, yeah. So it's like, make up your mind, Google. Use one of them. How big is the Google graveyard? Bigger than any graveyard. Huge. Yeah, huge. The only like bright side I try to tell people is, go through Google's graveyard and try to find one thing that they killed where they charged money exclusively for yeah. it, and you, you, you kind of don't find it. That's why I'm com- pretty confident Stadia is not only going to stick around, it's going to be insanely successful, but it's going to take like literally years. For I hope. Happen. I like the idea of Stadia. What, what was Google's Twitter? Was it called Pong or Ping or what? Buzz. 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 Yeah. 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 And um, I can't remember. I looked through my notes. I cannot find it now, but there was the uh, IoT standard that's supposed to take, um, uh, take the place of um, Matter? Oh God, like the really... Huh? Matter? Yes, yes, yes. Bad news is matter is not progressing at the rate everyone said it was going to go. Uh, the good news is Google and other companies still say we're going to do it, but it's not going to be now until 2022. Um, Amazon said uh, they were hoping to have it done like, um, I want to say they, they wouldn't have it done by like October. Now they're saying maybe October next year, all of their devices will support matter. So, that's a downer. What is Matter? I have no idea. Uh, matter is a protocol, is what I'm going to say. It's like HTTP. It's, you know, a method of communication between devices that has uh, strict API uh, standards. And we were looking at using that and getting rid of the old, um, I can't even remember what they're called now, the, the wireless RF technology you would use on your IoT stuff. Oh, crap. I know. I know what you're saying. I know you know. But I, yeah. Laura? Not Laura. Well, it's supposed to modernize and ubiquitously, uh, ubiquitously have everything used at the same time. So it would, in air quotes, be much easier for any device to communicate with any other device on your network without having to have, dare I say, something like Home Assistant in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just one of those things. It, it looks like it's still going to happen, but I'm not, no one's sure when it's going to happen now. Um, the other thing I just wanted to mention super quick, uh, Armbian. And I'm mentioning Armbian because, again, I think Armbian is one of those things that doesn't get enough love. Um, I'm 99% sure. the OG. Yeah. I I think. I think. I'm I'm not positive. Armbian is one of the few distributions where as soon as you log in, the very first thing it does, it insists you change your password. Um, Not all of them do that. I kind of think they should. But, you know, um, I digress. But Armbian 21.08 releases with XFCE. Desktop, Cinnamon Desktop, nice. Budgie Desktop, and with the Debian Bullseye build, with which Debian Bullseye like just got released like a week and a half ago, maybe. 
Two weeks what ago? What character is Bullseye? Um, on, uh, on Toy Story. Isn't that what Debbie and... I knew you were yeah. going to ask that question. I don't remember. I don't remember a Bullseye. I can look it up now. Okay, good, because I can't remember. Um, so the long and the short of it is, uh, Armbian supports a huge range of hardware. Their site is very easy to, to traverse and find stuff. And I believe graphically, it's one of the speediest, zippiest uh, desktops I've been able to find on ARM devices. This desktop thing you talk of, what is it? It has boxes and colors and corners. I'm familiar with that. Hey, actually, I, I do have a desktop question for you, a legitimate one. Um, like, if I download Ubuntu 20.04 server, and I don't want Office, I don't want GIMP, I don't want anything. Basically, I want a UI and a browser and to be able to have a command prompt. Is there just like a stripped down UI? Isn't that the light version? Well, then you don't want server. Yeah. Then you don't want server because once you install Xorg and a desktop on top of it, it doesn't matter the desktop. It's not. It's now almost like um, either GNOME, Ubuntu, X Ubuntu, Kubuntu. It's just like one of them. Oh. The, the question is, which desktop do you want to use? And then I would say, if they don't make a distribution specifically for that desktop, then it's better than to, yes, load Ubuntu minimal. I wouldn't load server. I would load Ubuntu minimal, then load uh -huh. X Xorg and that desktop. Um, the reason I say that is uh -huh. if you try to install the minimal version, Xorg, and then uh, GNOME, you're not going to get all of the custom tweaks and applications that come with the GNOME-based Ubuntu download. Yeah, I pretty much... You know, I, I'm pretty much almost all headless, but occasionally I got to see what's going on on, you know, local host, and that's about it. Right. Then what you can do is just say um, load normal Ubuntu, but change the boot method to uh, TTY so it doesn't load a desktop at all. And so it will run lighter. Mm -hmm. And then when you need to, you, you can like SSH in and load Xorg. And, or get an Xdoc. Or get an Xdoc. I love that thing. Um. So yeah, if you guys out there are running Armbian on a piece of hardware, I would suggest go ahead do the uh, see see if the upgrade's available for your hardware to Armbian 21.08. And if it is, I can assure you more stability, um, more speed, more efficiency, and a horse, and uh, better and better performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bullseye's the horse apparently. Aha! Yeah, I see. I had no idea. See, and everyone thought that they were going to run out of. Numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, till they run out of, till they stop making Toy Stories, I'm sure they won't. As long as they make money. Yeah. Yeah, down in uh, Disney Land, Disney World, Disney World. Um, they literally have Toy Story Land. Oh yeah. Where they where they have the um, we have a roller coaster, um, like a I want to say it's a spinning cups and one or two other Pixar themed rides. So yeah, there's they're they're not going to slow down anytime soon. I'm. Uh... I'm pretty lucky where I am. Uh, I have Disneyland, so I have Star Wars. But I haven't been there. Yeah, there's Star Wars here, too. Uh, yeah, we well, Star Wars. Do you have Millennium Falcon? I don't know. I'm sure you do. Yes, yeah, we'll do. shut up. They, you know, they're actually... <laughs> Are they identical? Yeah, there that is. makes sense. It's Disney World here in Florida. It's Disneyland. Well, here. I have California Adventures, though. You know, it's not much more. It's, it's, it's literally not worth it, but, you know, it's something. Something well, can happen. Honestly, the, the two rides in Star Wars Land um, were awesome, is what I'll say. Were they? There's yeah, the, I haven't um, been there yet. Smuggler's Run, I want to say, is the one I want to say. It's called Smuggler's Run. That, you're just piloting the Falcon. And there is tricks you can do to, like, you know, uh, uh, OP the game. And then there's the other ride, Rise of the Resistance. 
that was freaking awesome. If you're a fan of the old school movies at all, or the or just the new ones, it doesn't matter. Uh, excellent ride. The, the Star Wars Land itself, I found like almost non-pleasurable because everything was fake, dirty, and it looked like you know poop on a wall and just didn't look good. Yeah, um, I think I got kicked out of the video. Oh, well. okay. No, we can still see you. Oh, okay. Well, I can't find I can't oh. find it. So, oh well. Um, yeah, I, uh, I haven't been there yet. I still want to make a a lightsaber, but I'd rather not spend two hundred dollars for a cheap feeling lightsaber. I'd rather make my own. Yeah, and then since we talked about the Steam Link early in the podcast, I don't. Long story short, I said to myself, self, I would love to get a Steam Deck. Sorry, a, a Steam Deck, and I can't afford a Steam Deck. And then literally the next morning after saying that, I had somebody offer me a sponsorship. Really? To which I'm, to which I'm like, I don't want to do a sponsorship deal. I, I'm fine. Okay, it's $100 an episode, minimum five shows. And I thought they were going to say no. They said, great. I said, oh, okay, crap. Um, but then they wouldn't accept PayPal. And so I just emailed them, what decade do you live yeah. in if you don't accept a PayPal invoice? So then, of course, they stopped emailing. Okay. So they can go to hell. Um, so, so Serious? Yeah, yeah. So since I'm not going to be able to afford a Steam Deck for all intents and purposes, this is like the budget, in air quote, version of it that I might get. And it's the uh, AYN Odin is what it's called. And it's a handheld Android-based console with a Snapdragon 845. Okay, long story short, uh, 800, the, the 100 is like the major generation of the chip. Right now, the current top, top end is an 888. Actually, it's an 888S or something like that. Um, so this is an 845 processor. So it's still pretty new, still pretty powerful, not top of the line, but still pretty good. For only 175 bucks, uh, six-inch screen, 1080p screen, uh, eight gigs of RAM with an Android. You don't no. need eight gigs of RAM. Nine for nine percent. So that's plenty of RAM. 128 gig internal storage, and it literally looks like a Switch Lite, but bigger. So. I might end up getting this one instead. I don't know. Just because I love the idea. I'm infatuated with being able to play old school games, even though I never have time to play old school games. I'm in the same boat. I did find an Android device that uh, has a little more than uh, 8 gigs of RAM. And uh, let me find it and post a link. Well, the link to this one, Odin, will be in the notes, and I have no problem saying I literally go out of my way to try to avoid talking about posting or sharing crowdfunding things because I never know how legit the company is going to be if they're ever going to make it or whatever. But this is the one where I saw it. I said, oh, man, I really hope they're successful. Um, so if I buy one, I'm going to wait, see if they're successful, and they launch, and then let me buy one after the fact. Yeah, um, what I found which is going to be my uh, phone and only my dreams, is the Asus ROG Phone 5S Pro. Yeah, those phones are crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, let's see, rear LED screen that shows whatever it wants. I don't care as long as it moves and looks cool. Um, it's got a cooler you can add to it that has buttons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to find 18 gigs of RAM. and it's a beast. I mean, three point some three point two gigahertz octa-core DDR5, eighteen gigs of RAM, and it's just absolutely nuts. But it's only a ten eighty screen. Yeah, I know. Well, that's for batteries. Yeah, I guess well, I so guess phones went away from the the four K screens. 
Well, uh, on that size screen, I, I'll, I'll say it, it's a little bit more difficult to tell the difference yeah. when you get into a higher yeah. end. But um, the thing that I loved was you have your normal phone, then you can literally snap this cooler onto the yeah. back of it. And when and when people snap the cooler onto the back of it, they throttle. They they, they take off all. Oh yeah. And they and it and it still doesn't slow down. Yeah, so it's uh, cooler legit works. Yeah, it's cool. Literally, like in display fingerprint, you know all the all the normal stuff nowadays. But it's just 18 gigs of DDR5 RAM. Who needs that? I want it, but I don't need it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. Yeah, this is the kind of phone I look at from a distance. Exactly, I, 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 I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't like, justify it at all. No. Well, because like my current phone is a OnePlus Nord N100, hundred and seventy dollars. Oh yeah, how do you like that one? And it, it isn't the fastest thing, but it's one hundred and seventy-five dollars. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, it doesn't have um like NFC, but it's one hundred and seventy dollars. Yeah, um, this um, one is I think the cheapest I could find it was eighteen hundred. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if someone gives them to me. I'll oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, just that little—it's like an—it's like an OLED screen on the back, and it's just like, uh, it's just cool. <laughs> the only reason that I want it is mainly for that back screen, which does not justify even five hundred dollars. But it's cool. Yeah, I mean, I can honestly see whoever does have that phone. If you complain about that, phone, oh yeah, man, you have problems. Yeah, what I'm gonna say. And plus, I've been I've been very uh, pleasantly surprised with the with the uh, Asus ROG line. It's a very solid line anywhere. Like I have their uh, NVMe uh, enclosure. Um, I have a couple things. Like the laptop is an is an Asus ROG, um, and they just they their start. You know, Asus wasn't always the greatest at making a good product. They made a cheap product. That would last, but now they're actually getting into some really solid, solid, good products. Yeah, I agree. I like um, them in notebooks. I like Acer when it comes to Chromebooks. Yeah, kind of thing. I, I, I think both those companies. They came. came yeah, came yeah, they have. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm gonna throw one more link out there because this is another piece of hardware that caught my eye. And you know, like I'm a sucker for lower priced hardware. Is what I'm gonna say. Um, this is the Radaxa Zero. Oh yeah. Um, a powerful Raspberry Pi Zero W all all um alternative that starts at fifteen dollars. Sorry, line five twenty five in the notes. Um, so basically it's the exact same form factor as the Raspberry Pi Zero. Super tiny, super tiny board, but four different versions of it. Um, five twelve megs of RAM, no storage, fifteen bucks. One gig of RAM, no storage. 20 bucks, two gigs of RAM, eight gigs of EMMC flash storage built on board, $30, four gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of EMMC flash storage for 45 bucks. And isn't it a quad core anyway? So, uh, yes. Yeah, sure it's, it yeah it's pretty impressive. Really impressive. Yeah, and it does have Bluetooth 4.0, not 5.0, uh, Wi-Fi 4. Um, What's Wi-Fi 4? Is that, I mean, before 5 and 6, but I mean. Never mind, yeah. It, it does say Bluetooth 5.0 and Wi-Fi 5, so not the newest oh, okay. Wi-Fi yeah. 6 is what I'll say. I don't even um, know if I have anything that's Wi-Fi 6. I, I think I only have my mesh nodes and maybe the newest Roku the wife just bought upstairs. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I don't know. But um, 
I I'm a fan of this little board um, because it has good I/O. It has your normal Raspberry Pi pins. Uh, it is a uh, it does have a micro HDMI, two USB C ports. Oh, that's with nice. USB 3.0 really? speeds. So yeah, I mean, it's more expensive than a Raspberry Pi Zero. I understand but it's that. It's better than a Raspberry but, Pi Four, theoretically. Exactly. I mean, mm. and and the form factor is yeah. just out there yeah. to say sexy. So what OSs does it run? Uh, right now, it ain't even out yet, so I'm sure it's going to run the normal Android, some version of Android, since now we're at version 12, probably version 11 or 10 of Android. That would be nice. Uh, there will be a version of, uh, like, Raspbian ported over to it, or Debian, there always is. And then the question is, will Diet Pi, Armbian, and, t- like, those kinds of things, Twister OS, will they support it in the end? Um, I think because of the price, the form factor... And in fact, you can get it up to four gigs of RAM. I can see certain projects picking up on this, and I could, yeah, I could definitely uh, porting their code I could, I could see a few things that would that I could use with it, namely uh, retro gaming. The, the pricing, yeah. The uh, the the only thing I'd probably stay away from is the fifteen dollar yeah. one. But the uh, yeah. the others, the pricing is really good. You know, one, two, and four gigs. Yeah. I, uh... Side note: I made the mistake of looking at uh, ROG's blog. Um, yeah, yeah that, that was a bad idea. It's really nice. So yeah, it is a quad-core ARM Cortex A53 processor. I believe that's not uh, like the newest, but it is definitely hanging up there around the 3399 uh, type processor. Very cool. So I think I'm tapping out on links. I don't think I have any more links that I like really, really want to talk about. Um, if you guys have anything like to talk about. I'm good. Oh, and uh, one more link that's going to be in the notes. There's no reason to talk about it. Um, is It's an article on why did Valve change SteamOS from being on Debian versus Arch? And I love the fact that every single person who've used uh, Linux for more than a week, two weeks, they say, well, yeah, so it's faster to update. Yet they needed an article for it somehow, kind of thing. Um, you know, oh. asking why did they switch off of Debian? Debian is known as the rock-solid, stable, old operating system. Arch, very quick to update, very quick to see new things, very new to get features in their operating system. That's why Valve switched. They didn't want something old. They wanted something new. So, yeah. Okay, uh, if that is it, oh, will it work for Octoprint? I'll say this, Red, I can't see it not working for Octoprint. Octoprint has been pretty good about letting you either load flat, Raspbian, or Debian, and just running a script to install Octoprint. Um, it uh, Octoprint also comes as one of the options on, um, I want to say Twister OS has it in their KISS uh, application, K-I-S-S, can't remember what it stands for, but it's an easy way to load either uh, emulators or applications on a Raspbian-based operating system, uh, even emulators and text editors and games and stuff like that. Um, and if you go to the Octoprint website, they do support more than just the Raspberry Pi. So I'll say for this, I guarantee you with just a touch of work, you'll be able to get a Octoprint working on this with no problems, no questions asked. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so, uh, Rich, where can people, how can people catch up with you if they want to? Uh, flyingrich.com and youtube.com slash flyingrich and flyingrich vehicles and of course on the grams uh, flyingrich underscore official very cool very cool Brett if people want to uh, catch up with you don't hear you Brett 
Brett doesn't hear us. Is Brett frozen? No, he's moving. Can you hear me? Oh, no. I'll, um, okay. There you so, go. Uh, if, uh, on Instagram, it's basically the only thing I post a few pictures here and there is uh, Hanson underscore 3D. And then if you want to see anything about my, uh, my motorhome stuff, my random motorhome builds and stuff is uh, 8-bit GMC. Um, that's about the only place I hang out online right now. Very cool. Very cool. I want to thank you guys for coming out and thank you guys for the support uh, throughout the years. I want to also really quickly thank Chatter on the wire. Put a link into the notes to forum.redaxa.com with the introduction of the Redaxa Zero. It already out of the box supports Android 9, Twister OS, Emu Elect, which is like a Libra Elect um, 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 media platform, and then Mini Myth 2, which I have to believe is like a Myth TV alternative, maybe? Um, and I will say again, Twister OS, it already supports it. Uh, Twister OS Armbian version of it. So there you go. Uh, rock solid, works like a charm. Um, I'll try to make sure that's in the notes as well. So thank you very much, Chire on the Water, on the wire. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Red, for coming out. Uh, thanks, everyone, for coming out live. Again, if you want to come out live, uh, you can either just shoot me an email and say shoot me an email when you go live, or you can follow us on uh, twitter.com slash podnuts, facebook.com slash podnuts. I believe that's where stuff gets posted to. Or you could follow us on Discord, link in the notes. Um, so I want to thank everyone for the support. Thank everyone for downloading. And again, it's very easy to send us an email. That is uh, minipc at podnuts.com, link in the notes. Or if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash the minipc show. Uh, thank everybody for all the support. And hopefully we will see everyone again next week. So uh, take it easy, everybody. Hi, this is Matt from the MRP Tech Podcast. I would like to invite you all to take a listen to my show, the MRP Tech Podcast, on the Podnuts Network. The theme for my show is everyday tech for everyday people. We talk about Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, Android, Chrome OS, and anything else technology-related. You can find us on iTunes, and you can find us by searching in any podcatcher. We hope you take a listen and let us know what you think.